0: Ladies and gentlemen of the Worldwide IoT, I am Ken Briota, your host here on Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. And on this show, we try to talk about the real world of the IoT. We strip off the varnish and the marketing speak, get our hands dirty, and uh, really delve into the important trends and best practices, problems and solutions facing the IoT industry, and uh, that uh, you need to know about in order to make your business a little bit more money. I am very happy to have as my guest today a couple of the fine gentlemen from Timescale. Uh, I have with me Mike and AJ. Welcome, gentlemen, to uh, Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having yeah. us.
0: It is entirely our pleasure. In case folks aren't familiar with uh, with you two specifically or with Timescale, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys do and uh, what your uh, day-to-day life is like.
1: Sure. So uh, this is AJ uh, and uh, Mike and myself. We're the co-founders of TimeScale. We're a new open source time series database. Uh, uh, you know, that has been heavily used in IoT. I think put a different way, we're a new kind of database technology that uh, scales to time series workloads, uh, uh, but also allows you to use full SQL and tie in relational data, ERP data, third-party data into your time series data sets. And uh, we launched about a year and a half ago. And in a period of time, we've seen quite a bit of usage. Um, and it's heavily in IoT, and by IoT I mean everything from, you know, manufacturing, oil and gas, uh, asset tracking, so moving vehicles, uh, even to you know some deployments in the smart home. Um, uh, we're based here in New York. Um, I don't know how to describe our day to day. I think every day is a little different, but our, our company is rapidly growing. Uh, it was about a year and a half ago um, that we we kind of started this company. Uh, earlier this year in January is when we uh launched uh, announced our series a in financing from benchmark capital uh n e a new enterprise associates and two sigma ventures and a group of angels and uh, and we've been busy busy growing since then
0: that's uh that's awesome and congratulations on the uh, on the growth uh although i do sort of love the irony of the fact that uh we are having you guys a uh, an up and coming uh, probably not fair to still call a startup, but a uh, uh, younger company, to talk about how the IoT is uh, getting more mature, that uh, <laughs> coming out of its adolescence, perhaps. Um, the A lot of my discussions uh, are about how we're still a new industry, and a lot of people talk about that, because I think it's true. I think that the IoT industry changes very rapidly, uh, that we are far from full penetration or uh, or impact that the IoT can have, uh, mostly as a function of its eventual, I think, inevitable ubiquity, uh, we're a long way from that. And so that's why I find it easy to talk about the IoT as a developing industry a lot of times, rather than as a mature one. Um, but we are starting to see some signs that, uh, that we've moved beyond. And, and one of the things we were talking about earlier was uh in the change of thinking from the iot as a mere sensor network to more of a function of what you can learn from that it's sort of like uh, uh we've leveled up a little bit to use the parlance that at least i understand better uh, do you guys do you guys sort of agree with with that position and and how do you, how have you seen that change happening
1: Yes, it's a great question, and, and I, I, I'd say you know I'd say we agree that you know I, I you know I do think we have a long ways to go, but the industry is is maturing. Um, I think uh, in the beginning uh, the world was super obsessed with just deploying more and more sensors. Um, I think what we're finding now is, is companies are finding that they are have sensors that they've deployed in the last couple of years, or you know in some cases, like for example, and you know, maybe in oil and gas, you know they've had you know. Essentially, historians have been collecting time series data at the edge for, for years now. And, um, and I think what we find now in IoT is it's not necessarily just about deploying new hardware to collect new data sets, but it's also you know, building pipelines to, to take all the data streams you have that you know, maybe are disparate, maybe they're siloed, maybe they're at the edge, and centralizing them, bringing them back to the cloud, uh, just so you can you know, make you know, you know, better, you know, higher quality data decisions uh, you know, faster.
0: So um, I agree. I think that the the data streams and and all of that is is important. But I, I do want to push back on on one little piece of this, which is that all the sort of intelligence and analytics in the world uh, basically uh, makes you the the omnipotent person without, uh, or the omniscient person without omnipotence. We've got to be able to to take action on that data too we've got to we've got to tie it into command and control mechanisms and and uh, uh uh on the industrial side all of our prescriptive analytical algorithms and and build those and so i'm interested in your thoughts i know you guys are are elbows deep in in data thinking all the time i'm interested in your thoughts about how how we can use those data sets and as they get more mature as they get larger how we can parse those data into statistical predictive tools uh how we can build the the algorithms that are going to do that because uh, to my knowledge and to my observation most of our predictive tools are garbage at this point they're they're mostly working by coincidence rather than reliably as far as i can tell um especially on the consumer side the a lot of the advertising algorithms that are supposed to be predictive are, are actually following behind and when they're right they're making lucky guesses i don't think the iot can survive on lucky guess uh algorithms so uh how are we uh how are we going to make the leap from uh being good at collecting data and turning it into something that makes some sense uh in taking that good data and turning it into actionable, useful stuff?
2: Yeah, so I think there's actually two interesting aspects of what you talked about. Uh, One was, what is the state of the art of things like uh, prediction and and often industrials? This is predictive maintenance is one example. Mm -hmm. And the other one is that in what ways do we use our data in more real time uh, and in particular, you were in some sense conflating with that as, as part of a real-time control loop. Um, so I'll, I'll actually say two things about this. The first is that uh, the use of data for things like maintenance, I think, you know, moves in stages. You know, much like when they, you hear a lot about self-driving cars now, and they talk about levels of automation in self-driving cars or mm-hmm. levels of autonomy. And you have the same in maintenance and that many people might be more on what you'd call today condition-based maintenance, which is, for a long time, just being able to track and understand the state of your equipment in the field today, let alone do you know advanced prediction on when we think it will fail. For many industries, it, it was almost the promise of just condition-based maintenance that made IoT worthwhile. It'd be great if we could predict things in the future. But often, we didn't even know about the current state of our systems in real time to be able to you know, dispatch a person to the field as soon as it happens, as opposed to persist and you start seeing more problems down the line. So there is staging, but I think there's there's still a lot of value toward IoT and IoT data collection and monitoring and action. Uh, and action could be changing something remotely. It could be dispatching, you know, a worker into the field, let alone before you have to bring in, you know, advanced prediction to the mix. But the second thing you talked about uh, had to do with the notion of what we sometimes think about as operationalizing analytics,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: that it was historically, if you think about a lot of your analytical data, uh, you went from a world where you know, in the old days, they talked about you know, data warehouses and OLAP databases, and you know, reporting. And the idea is that you'd run your reporting once overnight or or once a week, so you'd give your you know your business owners or your problem owners a report the next day, they could analyze. And I think one of the things that we see shifting, in fact, timescale very much plays in this, is the ability the ability to do analytics and to, in some sense about this continuous reporting that it's not an overnight task that you run against your data after you've loaded after you you take a multi-hour hour uh, hour job it's that you constantly want to stream in data in real time and continually on top of this powering dashboard, powering alerts, powering other things that then branches out to many different people in your organization. It could be your customer support. It could be your operations. It could be development. It it could be uh, maintenance and whatnot. And so I I think the control loop of actually controlling these devices at the edge is one aspect of that. And you can imagine that completing the loop of real-time analytics is the feedback of that could be to control something at the edge. But it's similarly important uh, and, and in some sense often a natural step before you go to full-on autonomy, bringing back my comment about different stages of autonomy before, that you actually have a human in the loop, that you bring these outcomes in real time to a human to make decisions about what you want to do with that, that change in status.
0: So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's uh, fair to say that I'm, I'm anticipating ahead. Of of what we can do, and and that the the current state of what we should do is is looking at these control loops and, and things. But um, I here's here's what I I fear about data because I think I think data is really important, and it's sort of becoming the IoT's uh uh holy hand grenade of Antioch. Um, you know,
1: it's, mm-hmm. it, it, <laughs> hey, can I can I jump in for a second? We talk sure. about data. It's really It's really because I think I mean data is kind of what we do, and 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 even though we're a startup, you know, because we work with such a variety of companies, we get a pretty nice bird's eye view. I think you know into what's going on in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when we started this company, you know, you know, I I think a lot of people thought IoT would be similar to mobile and web, and and when we came in, I think we we probably started off with a similar. you know, assumption, but then we quickly found that, like, uh, there are quite a few differences, and one Mike already touched about is around the heterogeneity as opposed to, you know, an IoT as opposed to, you know, mobile apps generally run on, like, one of two different platforms, right? Right, right. Um, But but another difference is that, like, mobile and web and computer, I mean, everything before IoT was all about a human-computer interface, right? It was all about like, I'm going to display a screen to a human yeah. being who's going to interact, right? And the screen slowly got better and better and better. And IoT was the first time where we had, you know, if you think about the evolution of computing, you think about moving from mainframes to desktops and laptops and phones. And, right. and with each wave, you know, obviously the computers get smaller but more powerful, more ubiquitous. You know, we see IoT as the next wave of computing in this, in this long evolution um, but what's interesting is that uh, many of these devices, if not most of them, um, they don't have a screen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's, right? Like, like their screen is really a sensor. It's really like, you know, it's really something that, that collects, it's a one-directional, it collects information about the outside world. And, and so what we found was really interesting, and, you, know, you know, only because you brought up data, what we found interesting is while every other wave of computing before us was about how do we, you know, build applications that that interact with human beings in this world of HCI. And I think IoT for the first time was, it was actually not about the human being at all. It was just about the data. So we, we actually think, you know, it's not just people think about, oh, IoT is about data. It, it almost feels, sounds like a cliche. You know, I think for us is IoT is all about the data. You know, it's, it's not <laughs> about things, right? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and once you start thinking about the data, I think some interesting questions come up, but I, I, yeah, I think that's kind of one point I wanted to share.
0: Yeah, I you know it's a good point. I it makes it's true that uh in in some ways this is sort of the next wave of of what computing is and 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 giving it a little bit more of the autonomy that that lets it work faster than humans really are capable uh-huh. of doing. Um but it's kind of funny to me how it almost looks like the old mainframe days, you know, where uh-huh. uh where humans think about in advance uh, what do we want it to do? Punching all the stuff, and then we kind of can't watch it happen. It just sort of happens, and at the other end, we get a result, um, and we're sort of better off that way because we're not interfering mm-hmm. in the middle. Um, but but my thing with data is that I think that it's it's the the blood of the system that is IoT, in that it mm-hmm. moves everything everywhere. It's it's part of every system. But I'm worried about us getting an internal bleed. (laughs) To stretch that metaphor as far as it possibly can (laughs) go, (laughs) you know, where where the industry has these giant data lakes, this uh, so-called dark data or whatever it is that nobody's using, that maybe is useful, but maybe is just uh, garbage. Who knows? Um, And that we end up uh, wasting a lot of resources on, on on. servers and and in the cloud and everything else, just storing stuff like hoarders
1: <laughs>
0: of of data and and so part of what I'm pushing on is yep. is how do we make sure that that's not happening who's going to parse the data uh, who's going to get rid of it once it's been turned into metadata or it doesn't make sense to get rid of it um, the the raw data. Where does that piece of the puzzle happen? Because I'm really concerned about the, the resource drain. You know, a lot of the advantage in my mind to the IoT is the sustainable nature of it. It's really good for the environment if it works well. It's really good in being more efficient with resources if it works well, unless we end up the biggest suck of power in the history of mankind because we're saving all this data, so I'm interested to hear what you guys have to think of, have to say about this. Because I don't think we're at a solution point yet, unless I'm wrong, and you guys are going to solve this for me. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: I, I I think I think timescale is part of the solution. I, you know, I think uh, I, I think you know the the I think the first wave you know of IoT and maybe of just big data in general was you know store everything. Right? It was you know sure. don't throw data away, store every stored in a in a in a data warehouse in a data lake and you know whatever the next data
2: we've heard a data swamp <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever data metaphor you want to use Oh no that's world. how you
2: get data mosquitoes it's the it was the worst weird. i mean we had a blood metaphor ago, right no right
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and 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 yeah i, I think what what i think you, i think you hit the nail on the head i think what companies are saying now is we have all this data like now what? You know, what do we do with it? And ideally, you know, how do we make sense of it to make like real-time decisions as opposed to generate like overnight reports that are, you know, too late, right? Too little, too late. Uh, and, And I think, and I think part of that is, I think there's a couple parts of it. You know, one is, you know, you know, moving some of those workloads into a, a more of an operational analytical database, uh, and and that's and I think where TimeSkill sits, right? Is moving something into a database that can scale. You know, you may, maybe you don't need to store everything in in the, in the database, but maybe store of the most recent data, the most valuable data. You can store maybe you know you know a hundred terabytes or more, right? Uh, in, in 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 like a database like TimeSkill. and that that allows you to say, okay, like what's happening right now, right? Um, And I think the other part, um, and this is really where we're really the only time series database that supports this, is the ability to integrate disparate datasets. So I think one problem you have when you collect a lot of data is it often gets siloed. And you say, well, I have my time series data you know, maybe in a historian, but then I have my ERP data in a different system. And then I have, you know, this weather data I have to pull in from outside of the company, right? And how do I, how do I pull this all together? And, you know, you know, as an engineer, I would just say, hey, this is just a joint. <laughs> this is just a SQL join. All you need to do is join these data streams um, at query time. They didn't even this live together, but at query time, you need to be able to say, hey, like, you know, how are my devices doing? Um, how do I, you know, analyze it by you know maybe you know what is the uptime by manufacturing line with the line data is in my ERP system or maybe you're out in the field you know and incorporate some geospatial data some map data or maybe you're you're literally outdoors and incorporate some weather data and this is where you need you know like a, a time series database that stores more than just the data but actually allows you to incorporate you know all these disparate data sets and let you unsilo the data, so you know I'm, I'm not here to say we're going to solve all the problems or every problem but 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 I think these are two major problems that we do solve, which is operationalizing that scale solves, operationalizing you know the data your data that would have sit in like sound like a data lake mm-hmm. um, and allowing you to enrich it with these other data sets that you have you know across your enterprise
0: sure um, what's your thinking uh, on the idea of metadata is—is is, does it make sense to <clears throat> excuse me to integrate data sets and sort of look for those unexpected correlations and save that as an additional sort of uh, I don't know if it's richer but uh, uh, unintended consequences data set that gives you. Uh, some more knowledge about about things. Is is that valuable? Do you think to at least the enterprise or the industrial side?
1: Uh, I uh, the answer is always that it depends. Uh, Mike actually has some experience here, and I'll, I'll let him jump in.
2: Yeah. So I think that you know to follow on what Jay was talking about before. What we you know what we found with uh, data lakes and metadata is one of the challenges when you had all of the data separately. And whenever you want to ask an interesting question about that, either you couldn't or you somehow wanted engineering, you needed engineering to get involved to kind of expose this data to other, other teams. So if you think about the value of this data is that it could be used actually throughout your organization. You might have customer service, you might have ops, you might have uh, support. Uh, and you, you basically want to allow them to kind of ask questions the way you know they want and and often they have different questions to ask um operations might be looking more about like things like maintenance requests like when you know is just when am i no longer when is my manufacturing line dropping down in production output and to see if that correlates that to something else but you also have metadata often associated with that production line what uh you know what is the upstream uh, supply chain what things are running on it what information, do I know about the things currently running on it? And it's only about kind of joining between the different data and, and enriching it with this metadata, do you often get to um, go deeper to understand, you know, either how to improve things or what's actually happening in your system. And, and so historically, you've had two ways to do this. You could build all of these capabilities to enrich your data in the application layer, which means that whenever you have... You want to ask a new question, you have to think about how to put new engineering resources at it to enable other teams to ask these questions and go through release process and all that stuff. Or you actually have it, you could support this natively in your data layer. And that's kind of what what has been timescales approach, because we expose basically full SQL and allow you to ask these rich relational queries. What this means is that every tool that speaks SQL today, which is basically almost all of them, you know, whether or not it's, something very enterprise visualization like Tableau or something DevOpsy like Refano or Microsoft Power BI, these things all speak SQL. And that means that you could ask questions directly uh, of your data, of your metadata, make joins between them, and, and unlock a lot of the value for enterprise, which is, which is what I think you ultimately want to do. You know, when sure. talking about data, the question is not can you collect data, but what problems, what value does this unlock for your enterprise And it's often only by being able to ask, you know, combine that question with metadata, do we get greater insights um, that allow us to do so.
1: Let, let, let me jump in with an example that I think will we'll add some more color to what Mike's saying. You know, we we have a customer in the logistics space, and and they have you know they have asset tracking data, right? They're, they're tracking their vehicles across the country. Uh, they have a separate database that lives in a different system that actually has the plans, <laughs> like where <laughs> the trucks are supposed to be, right? Yeah. And right, and and, and and this is a constant thing that they need to do is 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 track, like how are are vehicles doing versus the plans. And and you know, are they ahead of schedule, behind schedule? Are there problems we should know about? Are things we could change, some routes we could change. And, and this is, you know, it's not like does it make sense? like they have to do this, right? They have to, you know, join the two different data sets. And you know, I think I think in the past with, you know, maybe non like non relational No systems, you would you would have had to duplicate your your plan data into your time series data and then but that means that if your plans change you have to update two databases now and it it's a lot of extra work and i think one advantage of of a relational database like ours and especially one that supports full sql is you can say hey uh, let, let's let's let, let's let the plan data live in the rp system let's have the time series data live in our system and let's just query across them um you know in, in real time i think another interesting part is like the people at this company who actually do this analysis you know, aren't aren't necessarily engineers, but often there are business analysts, and the tool that they like to use is Tableau, right? And so, if you're using Tableau now, you need something that can speak to Tableau, it can speak Full SQL, and um, we were really, you know, before Timescale arrived, there was no time series database, you know, especially when designed for IoT that supported Full SQL, and and we kind of came on saying, hey, you can actually have both. You can actually have Full SQL and scale, and, and in this context, is not just a nice to have; it's a need to have because then this allows allows you know companies you know like this one customer to use their existing tools and their existing data data sets to make you know real time business decisions.
2: Uh, and we, and no, another
1: example, and sure.
2: another example, which I think is illustrative about how having silos lead to problems. We had, we had another customer also in the logistics space uh, who had a system where they were actually Uh, tracking, again, uh, 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 trucking containers. And they had, you know, they were using basically one system to visualize the location of all those um, trucks, uh, you know, because people want to ask questions about, like, you know, what's coming in and out of the Port of Los Angeles or, you know, Port of Mm -hmm. Newark. And then another system, which, given a specific truck, would, would think about time series, like where has that truck driven over many weeks? Mm-hmm. And what they found is because they were actually utilizing two different systems, you know, one for what they think of as time series, another one which is metadata, which is the GPS coordinates and the information about what's in the container today, this led to actually inconsistencies um, between these two databases. And so what would happen from a product perspective is – is a user would look at one set of data and say, oh, this is my answer, and then be pulling data from another database. And again, they had to build all this in application space. But even there was inconsistencies because they didn't have the same type of consistency guarantees that they got when they ultimately combined these two onto time scale, which kind of gave them both this time analysis, but even geospatial support on top of that temporal data.
0: So as we as we get near the end here. I want to think a little bit about what my my listeners might be thinking, which is this is all really interesting and 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 spectacular. But what do I need to move forward as we as we wrap up? I was wondering if 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 one or both of you could could really give the listeners the a tip. You know, what should they be thinking about as they're they're already collecting data, I'm sure, and as they're thinking about how can I use this, how can I get more strategic about about the the information I'm collecting that's going to lead to better business outcomes for me so so how should they be sort of planning their strategy moving forward with respect to data
2: so i think so I think one of the things that we like to think when, when we talk to people is to uh, make sure to start with early wins so you know often particularly if these are for large you know fortune five hundred companies you know IOT projects, if they're not already an IOT company, uh, will uh, you know come out of, let's say, some um, office for uh, you know new projects or uh, or or for new technologies. And I think the mistake is to think about, um, let me from the beginning, work towards the case where you know every one of all my things are connected. and you know basically think of this as a five year plan hoping that once I start connecting everything and once I start getting all the data, we'll find, find value from that. And I think this is related back to your question before about, you know, what is the value of the data? So what we found to be the more successful uh, processes and kind of proof of concepts is when people, uh, particularly if they can start with data that they already have, or try to be very strategic about what are the minimal set of things that I need to deploy or what minimal set of new value, new data I need to collect in order to, to demonstrate real, you know, business advantage, real cost savings, real production improvements and whatnot, and then try to expand from there, you know, rather than think about, you know, what is my IOT strategy for my entire
1: company? We, we find, and just to add to that, we find that, you know, I think, I think people often get hung up on the vision, right? They, they say, oh, like, IOT, we need to have self-autonomous manufacturing lines or cars that can drive themselves and you know all, you know, all the stuff that like I think we are years away from that right right um, or they'll go another direction they'll say hey the first thing to do is build an IOT platform that everyone in the company can use before we can you know build anything and it takes them like two years just to build that and, and I think and I think one thing that you know we like to think about is is the time to value and I think that's what Mike was talking about is you know often you know what we would suggest is you know, think like a startup. Think like a startup with a limited time, limited budget and say, what is the fastest way for me to, you know, often it's even working with existing data sets. How do I how do I how do I use what I currently have and, and, and just, just, you know, add some value and then build on top of there?
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, where can folks find out more about you guys and, and about timescale and, you know, if they inevitably have questions based on all this?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, our website is timescale.com. Um, uh, we're also on GitHub for your developers out there, Apache 2 license, open source. Um, if you do end up deciding to to install and, and, and play with it, we have a very active uh, Slack channel. Uh, you can also email us at hello at timescale.com. Uh, you know, and again, we're an open source time series database that is built on top of Postgres. So, you know, also if there are any fans, listeners out there who are big Postgres fans, uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised to find that how much like Postgres timescale looks and feels.
0: Awesome. Um, Folks, uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a really interesting discussion um, and uh, it's an area that I am super interested in and not... uh, would never call myself an expert. So it's, pre- it's really appreciated by me to have a couple of experts to speak intelligently on the topic. So uh, AJ, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having us. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Make sure you go online to check out more content on how you can monetize the connected world at 151advisors.com. That's 151advisors.com for all the information and content like this podcast that will help you power your business and monetize your business into the next phase of the IoT. Thank you again for listening to Real World IoT, powered by 151. Advisors. I am your host, Ken Briota, signing off. See you next time.